you are in a season of delay. You don't know it, you're frustrated by it, you're confused by it, but if you can understand what God's trying to do in it, that he's go, He's after your trust, he's trying to go deeper with you in some areas, then it gives some context and meaning to the delay that's happening in your life. Hey, welcome to the 30 Second Book Club podcast. This is a place for people who want to read more books and be in a book club but don't have time to do either. And well, you can't anyway because you got a social distance and you know Zoom isn't always that fun. So I take care of all that for you. My name is Andy and hanging out this week with Banning Liebscher. He's the founder and pastor of Jesus Culture and he's written the book, The Three Mile Walk. Very interesting uh, title. We'll get into that in just a minute. But what was your inspiration just to write this book? It's really connected to, I have a heart to come alongside people and encourage them. So 25 years into full-time ministry, um, my heart really is just to see people fully alive. And I think what I've realized is both biblically and then walking with people that, that people are most fully alive. They're, they're most thriving. They're most fulfilled when they're engaged on the call of God in their life. And so my heart for this book is to really just kind of ignite something in the heart of people that says, I want to go engage all that God has for me. I want to engage the call of God in my life and to really challenge them around two areas that they're called to be someone and they're called to do something that all of us have a call. We have a call to be someone, a call to do something. And so just to really encourage people and then give them some, uh, you know, some, some tools on how to navigate the call of God in their life so that they can really live fully alive. I think a lot of people, and I hope, maybe the first step is knowing that, yeah, God has a calling in your life. That, that's pretty. That's a pretty big thing to understand. But then maybe people are like me, and, and I don't know. I, I, I've kind of just done a bunch of stuff in my life. You know, I'm on the radio now. I'm not sure if that's really my calling. I mean, how do, you, how do we figure out what God's actual call is for our life? Yeah, well, that, that's a great question. And I think that some of that is, is us just on the journey. Um, you know, I, I think that ultimately we have to define success as obedience and faithfulness. So, so I think if we can kind of put that into perspective, that at the end of the day, I'm going to stand before God and he's going to ask me, you know, were you obedient? Were you faithful? And that that's going to be success. But I think discovering your call is an interesting one. Well, one, I would say this, the call to be like God's called you to be someone. And ultimately it's to look like Jesus. Ultimately, he's trying to transform your life, shape your life, mold your life to look more like Jesus. Then the part, the call to do, which is kind of partnering with his plans and purposes in the earth. That's the one where you just go discover it. I think that's the part of the journey. I I mean, I write in there uh, in the, you know, in the 25 years of uh, doing ministry, just recognizing with people this thing of like, what's the thing that moves your heart? Uh, You know, what are the things you cry over? What are the things that ignite? What are the things you get angry over? What are the dreams in your heart? And I think really going to explore that. This is one of those things that I think a lot of people don't, haven't really sat down and said, what is it that God's calling me to? Like, and also I would say this, what is it that I'm doing currently right now that's actually connected to, because it is connected. God has you right where you are because he wants you there. What is it that I'm doing right now? And how is that connected to what God's called me to? I think this is the journey we go on. I think you have to pay attention a lot to it. You have to uh, kind of be intentional about leaning in and just, uh, you know, asking the Lord, what's, what are the things he's asked of me? What are the things that move me? What's, what am I doing right now? And how does that play into it? So it's a journey. All right. So in, in your book, you talk about um, also doing all that is in your healthy heart and tending our internal garden. I thought that was kind of a, kind of an interesting, 
don't know, a mental picture. So talk a little bit more about that. How do we attend to our, in, in our internal garden? What does that look like? Yeah, well, a lot of people are so thrown off by this thing. I even had a, you know, whenever I talk about, hey, uh, really encouraging people to be dreamers, to really just dream about, you know, what's in their heart and what they're going after. But I think at the end of the day, if we don't take time, we don't live in a culture that stops and processes internally what's going on. And, and are the things that are driving us, are the things that are motivating us, are the things that we're operating from, are they, are they healthy or unhealthy? The illustration that I use is, is that um, we just bought a house a couple of years ago in, in a town that has hills it's called El Dorado Hills. And uh, when the inspector came, it was an original owner. So they lived in the home for 28 years. And when the inspector came, uh, half the house was on this raised wood foundation. And the inspector came, looked into the house, and the entire foundation was rotten. They had to replace every piece of wood underneath the house because in 28 years, the owners had never gone underneath the house to actually look. They'd never been under there for 28 years. And so, you know, it, it was just had all dry rotted out. And I think for us as well, we we're such a driven society. We're such a and, and in the church as well, like change the world, go for it, you know, share your faith, all this type of stuff. But we don't actually stop long enough to go, what's going on inside of me? Like, is what's going is what I'm believing truth? Am I coming from a place of health? Is what's motivating me? Um, you know, the kingdom or things that are broken. And so I think it just, when I'm talking about healthy heart, I really genuinely, in this pursuit of the call of God in your life, I do think you have to get to a place where you stop long enough to go, God, I want you to, to make me have, I, I want a healthy heart internally. And, and I think when the Bible says, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it, it's, it's that concept. Another concept in your book, I mean, there's a whole chapter about it, and, and I've heard it so many times. I don't know if I've heard a really good um, definition of it. So as a pastor, maybe you can help me out with this. You know, what does it mean to be set apart? Yeah, well, I almost wrote an entire book on this, but I only gave it two chapters because this one was so important to me. I think the concept of holiness. So, so this book is broke up. When we say the three mile walk, it's actually coming from the story of Jonathan and his armor bearer. And when something awakens in his heart, he decides to get up and engage the call of Ghana's life and go towards the Philistines. But when he does that, there's a three mile valley he has to walk. And so we call it the three mile walk. But we talk about the first mile is holiness. That God, that that the first step in the call of God on our life is holiness. And embracing a life of holiness, but I think a lot of people have a wrong view of holiness. I grew up in a very legalistic environment, and holiness was like a list of do's and don'ts, and it was more don'ts. And so trying to really relook at holiness, just for a couple chapters, but trying to relook at holiness and say, what is holiness? What does it mean to have a life that's set apart? And really unpacking the concept that it's it's relational. Holiness is 100% relational. It's, it's 2 Corinthians 6 and into 7 where God says he wants to be a father to us. He wants us to be sons and daughters. And so because of that promise, we're to perfect, you know, we're to perfect holiness and fear of the Lord, that, that we're to go after holiness because God desires to be a father to us. It is a relational concept. It is my life fully given to God, good, bad, ugly, all of it. And, um, and I think once we can get that down, we realize that holiness isn't about do's and don'ts. Because here's the point. I grew up in an environment that would preach you to an altar 
to repent of your sins, which is super important. Hear me on this. Like you need to separate from sin. It's really important that you separate from the things that so easily entangle you. They lead to death. But we would separate from sin, but we'd never take the next step, which is set ourselves apart for God. So then the next year you'd be back doing the same thing, separating from sin. And, and just because you don't do something doesn't make you holy. You know, just because you're not sleeping around or just because you're not, you know, getting drunk, those things don't make you holy. What makes you holy is your heart completely set apart to God and in pursuit of your father. All right. So let's jump to this uh, in uh, your chapter talking about it takes courage. You share um, a little insight into you know, a biblical hero, Elijah. You, know, you just think about the rock stars in the Bible. I mean, this guy was it, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And even Elijah had issues uh, with discouragement. You talk about there was three different lies that Elijah, uh, f- uh, that, that he believed that he shouldn't have. I, I think it's kind of a, a good lesson for all of us that, man, if he went through this, that we do too. So yeah. what are the things to watch out for? Yeah, well, anybody who gets up and engages the call of God on their life, and this is the big one, you're going to face discouragement. Um, It's just one of those things where the enemy comes to discourage you. He tries to take your courage because it takes a massive amount of courage. And so I think that one of the ways that we get discouraged is we begin to believe lies. At the end of the day, any area in your life that is discouraged, any area in your life that feels hopeless is connected to a lie that you're believing. And so Elijah, who had a nature like ours, has this incredible moment, this incredible victory on Mount Carmel. And then the next day, he's in the valley believing lies. And the three lies that we unpack a little bit, because I think they're all three, they're three lies we all still struggle with, is one, that God has abandoned me. And maybe he hasn't left me completely, but he's not with me in this situation. So God is not with me in my marriage. God is not with me in my finances. We believe God has abandoned us in some area. And then uh, that the situation is hopeless, that whatever I'm facing is hopeless. And then the third lie is that we're all alone. It, just even in community, we're all alone. So this is what Elijah dealt with. Elijah you know, had that sense that God had abandoned him, that the situation was hopeless. It says he sat down and then that, that he had no community, that there was nobody there with him. And I think those are three things that we still wrestle with today. And we're going to have to bring truth to those situations because those three lies are what are connected to the discouragement and the hopelessness in our life. One thing that uh, can be discouraging is when you're going through a season of delay. And so you talk about in, in the chapter seasons of delay, you know, how, how do we change our perspective on that and, and, and find encouragement through through having to, yeah. to, to be delayed. Well, listen, this is why I love Andrew. What you just said is it's all about perspective. Um, uh, this has actually been my heart with this book, the book I wrote a few years ago called Rooted. I'm, I'm trying to help people get perspective of what's happening in their life and how God works. Because I find that one of the things that happens is, is when people don't have the right perspective they, they, they get frustrated or confused or discouraged because they, they're like, oh, I didn't know this was God working or I didn't know that this is what was happening. It's like wearing winter clothes in the middle of summer and then wondering why I'm so hot. Like, why am I so hot? Well, because you're wearing winter clothes in the middle of summer. It's not the season for that. And when I see that, then I'm able to kind of uh, walk out properly what's happening. Seasons of delay are one of these things. 
I hate delay. Everybody hates delays. We don't like delays. They feel like they have no purpose. But but you can't read the Bible and not see that there is delay after delay after delay, and that God uses those delays to help shape us, form us, to, to deepen our trust in Him. I mean, I don't know if there's anything that will deepen your trust than a delay in your life of a promise of God or something that happens later than you shot, thought it should. And so really trying to help people understand that del- some people listening right now, you are in a season of delay. You don't know it. You're frustrated by it. You're confused by it. But if you can understand what God's trying to do in it, that he's, go- he's after your trust. He's trying to go deeper with you in some areas. Then it gives some context and meaning to the delay that's happening in your life. Okay, so I think I was going to ask you a specific question on your chapter about the supply line strategy, but I think maybe just an overview would be helpful on that because people might be thinking, I'm, I'm never, that's something I've never heard of. What's that strategy look like? I think one of the things that I really want to come alongside people with is I I just want to speak hope and life into them. And I I think that, you know, the Bible says that hope, that faith is the substance of things hoped for. This three mile walk requires faith. Like you're going to have to step in faith. And uh, the Bible talks about pleasing God with faith, the righteous walk by it. Nothing's impossible with it. But, But the seedbed of faith, the soil of faith is hope. And I would say the great commodity that we have to be diligent around is this issue of hope. The Bible talks about being diligent about hope. And and hope is that thing that when you can keep it ignited in your life, faith grows. And the enemy comes, there's a, there's a strategy, there, there's a... There's a wartime strategy that is to cut off the supply line. Uh, so so frontline uh, soldiers need stuff, munitions and food and medicine. They need things. And so the enemy comes to cut off that supply line. In the same way in your life, the enemy is trying to cut off hope. This is what's happening right now, man. When you, when you see what's happening in the world, it begins to feel hopeless, your marriage begins to feel hopeless. What's happening with your kids begins to feel hopeless. What's happening in the world begins to feel hopeless. My future feels hopeless. And that concept of fighting for and being diligent and not allowing your hope to be cut off, that we're called to be a people of hope that are overflowing, abundant in this area of hope. And as long as what I call the pilot light of hope is on, faith can be ignited. But it's something the Bible says, the Bible uses the word diligent quite a bit, and it talks about being diligent with hope. And I think it's something you have to be pretty intentional on, that I'm going to be diligent around this issue, and I refuse to stay in a place of hopelessness. Hope is so important. And you also talk about gratitude in in a kind of a fun way, too, talking about being thankful in the middle seat. Yeah, well, I think that thankfulness is such a huge thing. It's it's a perspective that we have to keep in our life. And the, the story I tell in this is that it's amazing how ungrateful we become and not even realize it. I was flying for five hours. I, I got a last minute flight. Usually I'm in good seats because of how, many time, how much I fly. I got a last minute flight to New York. It's a five hour flight. I was in the very last row against the, to- you know, against the bathroom, middle seat didn't recline. And I remember being in the middle seat and, um, and, and getting irritated a little bit like, Oh, I'm so frustrated in the middle seat. And I just stopped for a second. I thought, what am I doing? 
like like how how can I become so quickly ungrateful about something as as simple as a middle seat and a plane when all that God has done for me he sent his son to die in a cry you know to die on a cross i I live a great life my family's fantastic I get to share the gospel with people around the world and yet I find myself negative and ungrateful and just really fighting to stay in that place of thankfulness and that when I am thankful we talk about it with faith when I'm thankful, it changes my perspective and I begin to live from a place of abundance, not from a place of lack. I begin to live from a place of all that God has done for me, not the things that I you know, think are missing. So it, it, the middle seat is just a, a silly. I literally, this is what happened to me. I was in the middle seat and I thought, what am I doing? I'm so irritated right now, but not to be dramatic. There are people that were burned at the stake for the sake of the gospel. I can sit in the middle seat for five hours, you know, and just trying to put literally, I was like, literally there are people that have sold themselves into slavery, you know, to, to reach people for Jesus. And I'm complaining about the middle seat, how quickly my life becomes ungrateful if I'm not intentional about it. All right. One final uh, question for you uh, talking in your last uh, chapter, the moment for faith. And I just thought, you talk about different uh, ways that uh, you can have bold faith. It's specific, you know, it's, uh, it, it speaks and things like that. But I just thought, I don't know, uh, because of where we are KTIS in, in yeah. Minneapolis and just the things that have been happening the last few weeks and uh, the challenge that I have is going on the air. And I, I think for the first time in a long time, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. And so what really resonated to me is when you're talking about bold faith being humble, because yeah. I feel like that is what we need as a country uh, more than ever, just be humbling ourselves and saying, God, I, I don't have the answers, but we're going to, we're going to look to you. So talk a little bit more about the, the, what, what bold faith looks like when it's humble. Yeah. Well, I would just say this, man, I, I first am so honestly so grateful for you guys being there in that city in this time, in this moment, I think we need voices that are speaking hope and courage and, and challenging people to do what you're talking about, to humble themselves. I, you know, I, I think that, that one of the main things we see is a lack of humility. The Bible says in James 119, that we're to be, you know, slow, slow to speak, quick to listen. And I think in this season right now, and I would say this, especially for white believers, it has got to be a season where we are slow to speak and quick to listen that, that we may not have. What I know is this. I know that Jesus is the answer. I know that there's hope. I know that we're called to be vessels of healing and reconciliation. I know we're called to bring, uh, you know, life to a hurting and dying world. Like I know these things, but in these moments, it's, it's so important that we just sit and listen, that we don't have to have all the answers at this moment, but it requires humility. This is even the thing right now we're walking with God, you know, Micah, that, that we're to love justice, do, we're to do, do justly, love, mer, love kindness, and we're to walk humbly with our God. And, and I think that faith does look like humility. <laughs> I think that humility is something that's so needed in this hour, that we would humble ourselves, that we would love people that we would listen quickly and speak slowly and um and that we would make sure that we we really do pursue that concept of of uh, we're not we're not trying to be right we're not trying to get our opinion across we're not trying to defend it we're just trying to humble ourselves and move towards people and um and listen 
And I was just thinking about this. And then on the other side, sometimes I, I think it's tough for people because they'll, they'll hear, okay, I'm, I'm supposed to have bold faith. That's humble. Does that mean that I'm a doormat? <laughs> you know, where, where's the, where's the line where you say, okay, how, how do I, how do I be bold while still being humble and, and maybe speaking up for my faith or, or, or whatever in, in everyday life? Yeah. Well, li- listen, I, I think that we are to be bold. Um, but I, I think that, um, you know, the Bible says there's no greater love than someone would lay down their life for a friend. And, and I think that we are to manifest love, but I think that, that that manifests most in friendship. And the reason why I say that is absolutely we're supposed to be bold about our faith. But, but, but many people, well, listen, maybe I'm getting into stuff here on, on your show. Many people are not being bold about their faith. They're being bold about their opinion. They're being bold about what they think is wrong. They're being bold about whatever. And, and I think that, I think that the friendship piece is we, we have to move towards people in a friendship manner. And, and, and many times when we talk about being bold for our faith, I don't think you are, but right now, but many times people say I'm bold for my faith. And I just think I would never build a friend like you just did. <laughs> like I, I would never, that's not actually how I would build a friendship. You're actually being bold with no care about whether or not I'm building a friendship here. And so I think friendship takes time. I think it takes uh, intentionality. I think it takes care. I think it takes, you know, kindness. I think it takes all this type of stuff. So, of of course, we're going to be bold for our faith. This is who we are. We are people of faith. We believe that Jesus is the answer for society. We don't, there isn't a plan B that we have. There isn't some worldly system that we think is the answer. Jesus and his kingdom is the answer. And we're going to continue to move towards that um, and continue to share that. We're going to share the hope that we have. Why do we have hope in the midst of this? Because we believe Jesus changes hearts. Why do we have hope in the midst of the world on fire? Because we believe that Jesus changes hearts. But I think that that boldness has to come with humility attached to it. And I think humility attached to it is I care about the person I'm talking to. And on social media, we've lost some of this. I just shared this recently. It's amazing how we, the religious spirit, which I don't want to unpack, but the religious spirit actually uh, gives me an excuse to not treat you like a brother or a sister or a friend. Mm. Like somehow when we get online, I think, well, I'm right and you're wrong. Therefore, I no longer have to treat you like a friend or a brother or a sister. So I guess for me, absolutely be bold. Everybody who's listening to this, be bold about Jesus. Be bold about about all that he's done in your life, the reason why we have hope. But, But you do that in humility, moving towards people, not trying to prove that you're right, not trying to overpower them with what you think, but in humility and kindness moving towards them and saying, ultimately, the greatest love manifests in friendship. Like a lot of us, Kara grew up in a community where everyone looked like her. But when she fell in love with the son of a black civil rights icon, her view changed forever. It's a very challenging book. I'm not going to lie. Very important conversation to have right now, though. And it's one that's only going to be constructive if it's filled with grace. And so my conversation with Kara is coming up next week on the 30 Second Book Club podcast.